Well, hello and welcome back to The Main Straight, the official F1 in Schools podcast. It is episode eight and today's show we'll be talking about sustainability in motorsport. Can I just say, as your host, Tom Deacon, that's me by the way, uh, that it is my pleasure to welcome you back and it brings me such joy to know that so many people have been with us since episode one all the way to episode eight. And if you're new to this podcast, what can you expect? Well, I will tell you that right now. Because of the incredible STEM project that is F1 in schools, we like to get on um, past alumni and experts in the field to give you some gems, some secrets that might help you in your journey in the competition. So that's what you can expect. Plus, I will be bringing you all of the news from around the world of F1 in schools and making it feel even more so of a family. Plus, I will be telling you that our last episode, we had Team Hydrogen on and did they have some gems there? Yes, they had some brilliant things that you should definitely, uh, if you haven't already, go back and check because they are your current F1 in schools world champions and it was an absolute delight to have them on the podcast and uh, I'm sure whatever they go on to do they will be very very successful so make sure you do that also uh, if you get a chance please do help the podcast out wherever you get your podcast make sure you like and subscribe that will really help the team here at F1 in schools out uh, so uh, right let's get on with today's episode as I mentioned I'll bring you the news but first we've got some brilliant guests to welcome to the show. First of all, we have uh, Arena Wanzel, who is a former competitor and now sits on the board of the Earth Prize, and that is the youth board. She's going to be telling us about the incredible work she has been doing. And also, I remember her being at the World Finals in Silverstone. Great person, great team. You'll be looking forward to that. But our first guest today, uh, and perfect for motorsport and sustainability in it, we will welcome Ellen Jones, who is the Head of Sustainability in F1. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Thank you. Great to be here today. Yes, it's great to, to have you on. Obviously, with this whole podcast, it's about sustainability and motorsport. And I feel like you are the perfect person to get on to talk about this. Uh, my first question to every guest is, is how are you at the moment? Busy, I imagine? Always, always busy in Formula One. Um, one lots to do uh, as we deliver our sustainability strategy, but two, it's a very fast place to work, a uh, fast paced place to work, as you can imagine. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And as the, the season ramps up, it gets even more busy for you. But but let's get into the sustainability then. I mean, F1 has an incredible ambition to achieve net zero carbon by 2030. Could you tell us about how you're working towards realizing this phenomenal commitment and and how is it changing the way you do things both at races and as an organization i think the key message is it is changing how we do things it is how do we materially change formula one's operations to ensure that we are more sustainable and that we cut our carbon emissions by a minimum of 50 percent and what that means in practice is we work with not only the Formula One group and company in our own operations, but we also work with all 10 Formula One teams, as well as all of our race promoters who host our events. And when we look at well, what can we do, what are the key actions it takes to hit net zero carbon by 2030? It is what is the energy in our offices and facilities? So how do we use less through energy reduction savings? How do we invest in our buildings so that they are more efficient? But also how do we buy better? How do we ensure that we are one, powering our offices by renewable energy tariffs, which we do, 
which is good check. Um, but two, how do we also uh, ensure that others are part of that progress in terms of on-site renewable energy um, as one piece? And then the second piece is travel logistics, which is actually the biggest piece. So when you look at our carbon footprint, two thirds of that is travel and logistics. And so it is critical that we work with the teams, with the FIA and with our own operations to say, how do we change our business so that we can travel less, but still have a fantastic world championship? And the way that we do that is first through remote broadcasting. So many of times people are surprised to see that actually the great show that you're watching on TV, much of the production is actually taking place in Kent. And so that means that less people and less kit needs to travel. Um, it's looking at our calendar and it's also looking at how things get from point A to point B. So do they sit in a regional hub? Uh, do they go via sea freight? And we have to do that review of what travels constantly because everyone is coming up with new ideas, great ways to do a show, but how do we do it in a more sustainable way? You know, can it be delivered at home? Can this equipment be lightweighted? Um, and how can it be more efficiently delivered? And the last piece is we finally got into the event. So we're at the race. How do we ensure that we are applying those same principles of energy reduction, but also sourcing. So on-site energy generation, as you might see in some races through solar panels, the generators themselves being run by biofuels, and then also green tariffs for the grid. Um, so it's putting all of those pieces together will help us hit net zero by 2030. Wow. It's 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 incredible the, the amount of work that you have to do. There's time, but I feel like there's never enough time in your job when you've got to get things to happen. Is that right? I think that's life, <laughs> um, but uh, Formula One is a is a good place to work because innovation, efficiency, speed that that's part of Formula One before you even add sustainability, and those are the critical ingredients of how you get sustainability delivered. So, from a culture perspective, it's not changing Formula One's culture; it's changing Formula One's culture to be like, how do we help on sustainability? How do we push on technologies of the future like sustainable fuels, which can give a broader impact, not just through our events, but through global car park, how we all go to the grocery store, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I'd, well, I, I'll be talking to uh, Arena in a bit, and I know from her project with uh, Ecoless 9, uh, what she was able to achieve. But before we we welcome Arena in, uh, there's a couple more elements I want to talk to you about. Th there's two key as I said, elements to F1's sustainability strategy to leave a legacy of positive change wherever you race and to take steps to build a more diverse and inclusive sport by removing barriers, nurturing talent and inspiring change. So uh, reading those, could you tell us a bit more about the importance of these and the ways that they are being implemented and what role, I know to add more to this question uh, for you, Ellen, it, it, what role does F1 in schools play within that strategy? Absolutely. So when you talk about our sustainability strategy, net zero by 2030, uh, we've talked about a lot, but there are two other pillars, which is our, to host more sustainable events with a positive legacy and to ensure our sport is more diverse and inclusive. And when you look at that and what actions it takes to deliver it, it's first working with our race promoters. So our race promoters are the hosts of our events. And what we do is we've issued guidance in six key areas that we want them to deliver on plastic and waste, local fan travel, well-being and nature, energy, carbon. I've just forgotten the sixth one, but it will no. come to me. <laughs> I know. But there's so many. <laughs> but um, it's the, the point is that sustainability is much more than just carbon. Carbon is a key metric, 
but it's also how do we interact with our local community? Uh, how do we ensure that we are hosting fantastic events and working to reduce single-use plastic? Um, and that's what we're working on with our race promoters across those six key areas. Yeah. Um, and the way that works in practice is our team um, helps them build an annual sustainability plan, helps them improve on that plan and say, hey, where is best practice? How do we think we can help you improve? Um, and then uh, you start to see that delivery on site. Um, and that equally flips to a more diverse and inclusive sport, because as we know, sustainability isn't just environmental sustainability. It's also social sustainability and impact. And that works across our operations from uh, one, having the next generation of engineers, which F1 in schools has a large part to play in to help generate the next generation of technologies. But two, how do we look at uh, education as a whole? How do we ensure that um, individuals, one, have access to education through partnerships like we have with UNICEF to ensure that everyone has access to a good education? But then two, how do you ensure that um, people are interested in STEM and see that as a viable career path, which leads all the way back into Formula One in terms of the apprenticeships that we have, the internships, and then the scholarships. Wow, it's uh, it, it it it's a lot there. I'm now racking my brain. Can I think of the sixth one? Uh, can <laughs> I think of the? <laughs> I think it was local community. I don't think I said local community, which is why I put it again. But uh, I'll, we'll come back and I'll get the six. <laughs> That's I, I know this is deviating slightly from that, but as the head of, of sustainability at F1, there's there's a, almost a, do you feel that pressure on you when you? I know this is a more personal question, but but being put on the spot and I know in this interview i'm i'm asking questions but do you, do you feel like that do you feel this the sense of a personal i've got to keep going you, you've mentioned how f1 is fast paced it's always busy but do you take that on board you know all the time ellen so i'm obviously really passionate about my job i don't think you become a head of sustainability without being passionate about how we can change the world for the better uh but the key thing is that everyone in f1 needs to be on the sustainability team and when we look at the next generation of students and careers in f1 that just needs to be part of day one where people understand what sustainability means they understand how that's critical to their role and then they can start delivering solutions because it is a full culture change it isn't one person who makes formula one more sustainable it's that every single person in formula one understands how their role is directly related to our sustainability strategy and how they will come up with the fantastic ideas that will make a new process more efficient a new material more recyclable and um i just get to soak that up and that's the best part of my job is being you know inspired by people who are like yes i totally get the principles you're talking about ellen and this is how i'm applying it to my job today Oh, that's great. Uh, I, I I love that answer, Ellen. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, as the sponsor of the Sustainability Award at the F1 in Schools World Finals, uh, what are you looking for uh, from the teams when assessing this element of their entry? You, you, you love that moment where people said, thank you, Ellen, for sharing that. This is what I'm doing. So I suppose it's kind of similar in, in some respects. It's It's actually exactly the same. So what I would like to see is twofold. It's one, how are the teams looking at their responsibility? So what are the areas in their control that they can ensure that they are either making a more positive impact or reducing their environmental impact? So this is in my control, therefore I've designed this in a different way, I've looked at a new process um, and been able to deliver. And then the second piece is where is their opportunity? So 
sustainability isn't just what I can do in my control. It's how do we inspire those around us to do more and be part of that journey? And so, um, and, and that's exactly F1's position is we are taking steps to reduce our carbon footprint and steps that we can do within our control and in our operations. But we want to engage the wider sport. We want to engage our fans and say, yes, I can either take those steps too or now understand how I can be part of the sustainability story. So it is that balance of what's in my control, what's in my responsibility that I've done to make this project more sustainable, but also what's my opportunity to engage and inspire those around me to take more action as well. It's never easy. It's never easy to, but leading by, I don't know, personally myself, leading by other people seeing what I'm doing helps engage them sometimes rather than you must do this. But it, it, it's a whole plethora of different ways of, of achieving that, um, which I look forward to seeing the teams at the world finals and how they go about that. Um, but that's good to know because those listening right now, you've heard from Ellen, this is what she's looking for. Make sure you start uh, putting that into your work and the competition. Um, got a few more questions um, before I bring in uh, Arena, uh, Ellen. Finally, uh, what does the future of motorsport look like? It's a big question there, but uh, and what role do you think the next generation of engineers will play in furthering F1 sustainability work? The future of motorsport, not a small question. Uh, <laughs> when you... When you look at the future of motorsport and the future of Formula One, sustainability is core to our strategy. It's core to who we are and need to be. And in good news, Formula One has a long history of how do we innovate? How do we ensure that the cars are safer? How do we ensure that the cars are run on hybrid engines? And then the next generation, how do we ensure that they are run on 100% advanced sustainable fuel? So there is this constant trend of innovation that will need to continue. And when we look at what does that look like in Formula One, it, it's as I was talking about earlier, it's every new person who comes to Formula One needs to bring their own sustainability story and how they will help us reduce our impact, how they will help create that next innovation. Um, and I can't wait to see what it looks like. Ellen, um, thank you very much for your time and giving people some ideas and some pointers for the same Sustain well, I can't even say it now, uh, sustainability side of the competition uh, when they're competing and hopefully you'll be seeing them in the world finals. And will you be uh, in Singapore, uh, Ellen? I will be there in spirit. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> um, but I, best of luck to everyone at the world finals. Uh, we can't wait to hear what you're doing, not only this year, but in your future careers. And um, thank you so much for all your efforts. Uh, both today and in future. Oh, well, thank you very much for being part of the show. Uh, enjoy the busyness that you told us at the beginning. It's very busy at the moment, so thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Cheers. All right, then. I'm joined by Arena Wanzul, who competed in the F1 in schools uh, for the team Echolest 9. Hi, Tom. Abukaba from Malaysia. So good to be talking to you again. How are you? Wow. It's not often I get a question asked back, but yes, very well. And it's lovely to see you again. I and I have fond memories of your team competing at Silverstone in the World Finals last year. And I'm seeing, uh, obviously, this is a podcast, but I can see you uh, right in front of me now. And some of that attire that you were giving out as gifts at the World Finals, I, I remember fondly. So listen, Arena, there's lots to get into and, and chat to. But first of all, I, I really want to know um, a bit more about your time in F1 in schools. How did the challenge open your eyes to the need for sustainability and, and thinking and engineering? So I spent quite a bit of time in F1 in schools. In fact, majority of my high school years, I started in 2020. 
um, when I was just 15 years old, I remember interviewing to be a part of my school's F1 in schools team, even though I wasn't even eligible at the time, but I begged them to let me interview. They said I was too young, um, but I ended up landing the project management and uh, manufacturing engineer role for my team. At the time, it was called Caris Racing, and that was the year we made history and became the first team to win national finals for our school. To me, F1 in schools is a golden ticket uh, where you're given a platform to share what you have to offer and advocate for what uh, is important to you and to such a worldly and broad audience that F1 in schools has cultivated. So that's exactly what we did. We formed a new team and we decided to take this advantage of our platform given to us or our golden ticket as I like to call it, and create our brand Ecoless 9 in the uh, nationals and also won national finals. But this time, our brand Ecoless 9 had a vision and mission to highlight the importance of a sustainable development in STEM and inspire the youth to raise interest in engineering fields among Malaysia's younger generation. Well, it's incredible, Arena, and, and you're one of those competitors that definitely stood out to me hosting um, because you just look so organized and that that goes to show when I look at you now, you've made your notes about what it is that you wanted to say, which is uh, fantastic. Thank you very much for, for doing so. So Ecoless 9, uh, how did you incorporate that sustainability into your work? Because if I remember your portfolio was incredible, the pictures that you used and, and how you got all the other students in, involved in your school. But, but tell everyone a bit more about that. Well... Sustainability in STEM was the main thing that was really important to us, especially being a Formula One fan. And you know, when you're a fan of a sport that emits a lot of carbon, you want to advocate for sustainable solutions and advocate for sustainability to counterattack counter that so that we can enjoy the sport for a long, long time. Um, but this is a tough one to answer as sustainability is the essence of Ecoless 9. It's even embedded in our name which if you break it up, is a combination of ecology and lestari with the number nine. So lestari is sustainability translated into English from Malay. So how did you do you incorporate it? I, I understand the, the, the name has everything there, um, but, but how did you go about it? So our name, what was very special was the number nine that symbolized the nine SDGs that we advocated for. And if you're not familiar what our SDGs are, uh, well, they are the Sustainable Development Goals that the United Nations approved in 2015 as a global call to action to reduce inequality, protect the environment, and guarantee that everyone lives in peace and prosperity by 2030. Um, so there's actually 17 uh, out of these nine that we picked, but we just picked these nine that we wanted to highlight. So. Um, with these SDGs, we did, of course, sustainable media series on our social media. We did webinars where we talked to people in the industry and kind of picked their brains on what sustainability in STEM means to them. And this was great because we also collaborated with um, our state education department, which they were really lovely to create certificates for the students so that they could help the students with their core curriculum marks. And then this was a hit, so we decided to do an F1 in Schools workshop with local schools in Malaysia uh, to expose F1 in Schools um, to the community here because it's still, um, it's growing really fast these days, but it still wasn't all the hype here. And that became a hit, so 
we inaugurated a miniature F1 in Schools Engineering Challenge and partnered with UITM uh, or Mara University of Technology. Uh, so we got professors to become judges and the students, they, well, after our workshop, they created many portfolios of themselves where they displayed team identities and also did uh, 3D designs using CAD and CAM. Uh, but unfortunately, since not many students here in Malaysia have the privilege to actually manufacture their cars uh, because we don't have 3D printing machines in every school or CNC machines, um, they just did it virtually. Um, but from there, that kind of sparked an idea. Uh, we sat together and we were like, we are so amazed by how passionate these students are to learn about, um, you know, these 4.0 technology such as 3D printing. So we wanted to share this opportunity with them, this privilege that we have about entering a really prestigious competition. So we decided to open up a STEM hub. Basically, the idea behind it is a designated area that houses hard to access STEM related machinery and equipment such as 3D printers and CNC machines. Um, so the main objective was to remove the constraints schools have to join STEM based activities and support the implementation of technology 4.0 among Malaysian um, citizens. Um, because we realized that um, as a small country, we're not as fortunate as the others to make this thing a bigger thing because not many schools have accessibility. Um, but um, we got our collaborators involved, we got the Ministry of Education involved, we got our State Department involved, and everyone was so keen on the idea of you know, growing STEM education. Um, so in 2022, uh, we did a kickoff and we signed a letter of intent with the Ministry of Education and our State Education Department uh, to make this a five-year project uh, with our State Education Department and um, University Technology Mara, Mara University of Technology. So that was that was very surreal for us because it ended up being in the newspapers and in the articles. And, and then me and my teammates, we sat back and we were like, this is a surreal moment. We were really happy to give back to the community because sustainability isn't just about going green and the three R's. I mean, of course, uh, recycling, use, thing, and all of that is really, really important. I mean, we did that. We opened up the recycling hub. Uh, we collected metal cans to do metal castings, create our merchandises, miniature F1 keychains. Um, we then used the rest of the... Um, recyclable items collected by the students at the recycling hub to actually sell them off to a recycling center. And through our income through that, we invested in a vending machine and a printing machine for the school to give back to the school. And we charged the students for that. So that kind of became our passive income to allow us to go to the world finals. Um, but on a bigger scale, sustainability, um, as Ellen Jones mentioned, she's not here with us today, um, but it's, it's not just about going green. It's also about giving more than you take. That's what she said in the World Finals, I, I remember. Um, so that's what we tried to do, and it was a very rewarding experience for us. It's, it sounds incredible. And I, and I remember immediately now when I was talking about your portfolio, I remember this vending machine that you brought. And I always think, first of all, with my stomach. So I always think about snacks and eating. And I was like, oh, that is a fantastic idea. But you're right, that sustainability is a bigger project, giving something back. It sounds like an incredible journey you've been on, uh, Arena, and I, I really appreciate you sharing what is capable. 
for anybody listening. Um, I, I do want to talk about the Earth Prize and um, uh, you are on the youth board. How did that come about? Okay, so how it all happened was actually um, after the whole World Finals event happened, which was a dream come true. It's, it's actually the first time I went to the UK or Europe, in fact. Um, so I was I was shaking all the time. Um, but after that dream of a week ended, I got back in Malaysia and continued life. And then I received an email from David House and he was talking to me about this Earth Prize and um, basically was saying that uh, they are looking for a youth board member from one of the participants in the World Finals. And David asked permission to put my name forward and I said yes and the rest is history. But actually, it all started at the World Finals where I met the CEO of the Earth Prize Angela McCarthy um, during the opening ceremony she came by our pitches then we were having a lovely chat about sustainability and our projects um, she didn't really introduce herself but then moments later she went on stage and introduced herself at the C as the CEO of the Earth Prize and I kind of got starstruck then. <laughs> Um, I, I I love that there, Arena, because anyone who comes to your pit display, you you don't know who they are necessarily, but you engage with them. And that's a lesson in life. But you engage with people not because of who they are when you know that. But afterwards, you're like, oh, well, I would have done that with anyone that came to my pit display. So what what is the, the Earth uh, Prize? All right. So um, for those of you who don't know what the Earth Prize is, the Earth Prize is an environmental sustainability competition under an NGO called the Earth Foundation. Um, so the Earth Prize is uh, is held annually with the prize winning of $200,000. It is to come, um, the competition essentially is to come up with an environmental sustainability solution of any kind uh, to tackle environmental problems. Uh, the idea Peter McGarry had, um, Peter is the founder of the Earth Prize when he founded the Earth Prize was to take the frustration and anxiety and passion young people have about environmental sustainability and harness it to turn it into something positive. And since then, they've created a platform where there is support, uh, inspiration, education for teenagers around the world. They have a youth board, which I am a part of, and another seven members are a part of, and it's been lovely to hear what they all are doing. Um, I mean, I really can't explain to you because they're all from different countries, different backgrounds from all around the world, but it's so nice uh, to know that at the end of the day, all of us are working towards the same thing, which is a better um, tomorrow. But other than that, they have mentors from 30, 30 different universities around the world to support uh, the students online, educational uh, content curated by world-renowned professors and tailored right towards the kids who have questions about this topic to create an impact and showcase incredible stories from teens um, to future inspire, to further inspire, educate uh, more teens around the world. Um, and to me, this whole Earth Prize thing, it really reinforces the power of bringing the world into classrooms and giving kids real world problems to solve. Well, I, I love it. Uh, Arena, you, you break the Earth Prize down brilliantly. I'm kind of curious, because you're on the board, that means you will have seen some of the projects that they're working on. Can you share any of some of those ideas, maybe just to 
inspire some people listening? Well, the Earth Prize is really big. So the Earth Prize youth members, they're working on their own projects really, but they're not really allowed to participate. As for the participants, uh, we recently just closed up the award ceremony on the 24th of April. And um, wow, the students are crazy. The winner was declared. It's Delavo from Turkey. I'm not even going to try to announce uh, their, I mean, pronounce their school name because it's very hard. Uh, but uh, essentially, this team, Delavo, they dedicated to they dedicated their team to transforming laundry into an eco-friendly process. And how you may ask, they developed an e-condry. That's what they call it, e-condry, uh, a device that utilizes integrated hollow ultra filtration tubes and carbon filter to treat and reuse laundry wastewater saving up to more than 90 percent of water per cycle um, which is really amazing and they won the huge prize and everything it was so nice to see that's incredible so that just gives us a, a flavor for what's being created changing washing machi machines to save on that water that that's remarkable well I, I i can see the passion that you have uh, for the earth prize and when you talk about F1 in schools, I think you truly are a remarkable competitor uh, and people listening will think, ah, oh, arena, what, what would a reader do? Uh, and I kind of like that process. And I want to just pick your brain one more time here, arena, before I say go goodbye to you on this episode. Um, the world finals uh, is taking place in September. It's going to be in Singapore. You are a previous competitor who has competed at a world final. You just mentioned how you were shaking with excitement being in a new uh, continent. Um, what advice would you give to the students acad academically or, or how they compete in the competition and also about the world finals and, and how they can get the most out of it? Well, um, I have two advices for you. From a sustainable point of view, uh, for the students competing and are trying to pick their brains on like, what is the sustainable innovation to go for? Um, for me, I would say sustainability isn't about creating the most grand sustainable gesture gesture or innovation. Honestly, sometimes the simplest actions that are the the simplest actions are the best solutions that we need to counter these big problems. So go for problems or go for actions that everyone can take. Um, you know, so how everyone can deliver sustainability as part of their day-to-day. -day. Um, so every, because everyone has an impact in any action they take. And I think so the thing that divides people from taking sustainable action is because they think whatever they're doing is too small or doesn't mean anything. So go for those things um, that make sustainability more accessible. Uh, on a participating student point of view, for me, the World Finals was so surreal, um, but they are hardships, definitely. It's a very iterative project. Uh, six months, maybe minimum, that you'll be preparing for it. There's ups and downs and days that you guys want to give up. But every single time, I felt those hard days trying to balance school, life, and the project. Uh, I remember a quote from my one of my favorite F1 drivers, Dan, Dra Daniel Ricardo. He's not driving anymore. Um, hopefully he will soon. Um, uh, he he made this clip and I always used to play it whenever I was ha having a down day and I just wanted to quote him and I hope this doesn't come out as corny but I hope it um, maybe brings some joy or like motivation to the kids participating. Um, so I, I hope you don't mind if I quote him right now. Um, as Daniel says, 
Enjoy the butterflies. Enjoy being naive. Enjoy the nerves, the pressure. If you kind of want to stand on top of the world from day one, then there's nothing else to look forward to. Enjoy kind of the process of making a name for yourself and your team and meeting some great people along the way. There's a lot of worldly people in this F1 in schools community that you can laugh with and learn from and enjoy some moments with. So embrace it, the good ones, stay focused. Don't be too far off from your path. Keep trying to build and grow and learn from yourself, but don't forget what got you here and bring friends and family along. They might be something to kind of take off the weight of your shoulders during this uh, world finals journey. There are also people to enjoy the moment with and celebrate with. So don't be afraid to be surrounded or surround yourself with people that you care about and love because they're all so excited to be on this journey as well. So no matter how much this world finals project is pressuring you, um, just remember at the end of the day, have fun and take it in because it is a once in a lifetime experience and it's an experience that I will remember for the rest of my life. Arena, that was an absolute delight on the main straight, the official F1 in schools podcast. So beautiful uh, to end up with a quote and I hope that does inspire people and motivate them. Not corny, 1%, not even 1% of corniness. I loved it. Uh, Arena, thank you so much for, for giving your time. Uh, it's great to hear from you and I'm sure that your words Will, will help inspire those that are competing, maybe in a national or regionals or, or anything that is coming up in F1 in schools. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for being on the podcast. Well, I think you'll agree, two brilliant guests on today's podcast. Thank you very much uh, for their time. Right, uh, at the beginning of the show, I told you that I would be bringing you a brand new news section. Uh, sadly, Max is not here today, so I will be looking after events and I want to bring you up to speed. Well, Let's start with May. And May was an action-packed month here at F1 in Schools. We started off with the incredible Miami Grand Prix, where our American team partnered with fellow not-for-profit, the Seek Foundation, in talking to our racist attendees about our competition, uh, as well as showing our students cars in action on the track. Unfortunately, I'm going to tell you this now, I'm going to level with you, we didn't manage to get Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk to test their reaction times, but fingers crossed we'll be able to do that next time. Uh, then we saw three of our countries reaching the end of their F1 in school season and hosting their national finals. Now, we always love to see the pictures of our teams and students from across the globe reaching this point in their journey, as it's where things start to get super exciting with world finals places at stake and the quality level really ramping up. And don't forget to get on the socials while you're listening to this right now. If you've got any of your pictures, please post them. And of course, F1 in Schools HQ will try to repost as many as they can. Now, we have seen some amazing work from our European friends over the last few weeks, with France hosting their phenomenal national finals at the Centre d'Excellence at the Circuit Paul Ricard, joined by a head scrutineer, Nelson Vale, who cast his expert eye over the cars. And with the well wishes given by the one and only Charles Leclerc, the French teams really made their idol proud with some exceptional engineering skills and lightning fast reactions. At getting first place on the podium, we had Dynamis Racing, followed by Ingenus and Lunatic GP. Well done to all of those teams. Next up, um, we headed to Germany, hosting their nationals 
at the Mercedes-Benz uh, Kunden Center. So fantastic displays of German engineering all round at this three-day event. We'd also like to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to uh, Armin and Elisa who have run the German F1 in schools competition for wait for it an incredible 17 years uh, we know all of their teams are so grateful for the work they've invested over the last two decades and so are we now podium winners were uh, drum roll please unless you've already seen it all over social media uh, recoil racing followed by firestorm and aerospace uh, you should be very proud of your achievements uh, then we head over to poland and we had our first ever Polish national finals held at the Polski Radio Curacao. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've given it my best attempt. I'm sure they'll correct me. Uh, let me just see, think about it. Kirosów. Yes, there we go. Kirosów. Uh, that was at the Polski Radio Kirosów. This was a super successful event with 16 teams all competing to make history as the inaugural Polish champions. But only one team could hold that crown and it went to Photon Racing, who were joined on the podium by Trinity Racing and X Racing. Amazing work, guys. You should be very, very proud of that. And um, I think you'll agree, if you see some of the pictures, a stellar first nationals. What a month uh, it has been. And June looks to be equally incredible with Saudi Arabia also hosting their first ever national finals at the famous Ithra building in Duran. Portugal are also hosting theirs at the Euro Park in Santa Maria de Feira and the UAE hosting theirs at none other than Yas Marina. And last, but definitely not least, the UK are hosting their 22nd national final at the University of Leeds. Bit of a spoiler, I may <clears throat> be there. So if you are heading to that, I look forward to seeing you there. So make sure you join us in July to hear the highlights from those sure-to-be-fantastic events. Don't forget to get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you like and subscribe and leave us a review. Um, well, it leaves me to just say thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.